0: It, it played Australian cinemas. People were not happy. There was either wow. stunned silences or cries of "That's not us" on the screen. You know, there was a lot of pushback to the this grotesque movie.
1: grotesque distortion of us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> buddy it's one one fucking hour time i can't do that (laughs) yeah it's the (laughs) it's the uh the movie where we talk about one fucking movie for one fucking hour i am evan husney and we got to my left big t tom fitzgerald what's going on t barbara streisand okay that's it Okay. All right. Google it. Okay. All right. I will. I'll <laughs> it's a do song. that. Right? Yeah. Maybe it's a song. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't know. All right. We're gonna do that a little bit later. But before we do that, to my right, we also got Mr. Marcus Herring. How's it going, man? Good day, mates. Mm. I-, I can do the Australian accent. I'll try. Oh God. Oh. Commit. Do the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> just, just go for it. Oh my God. That would be absolutely insane. Please don't do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank all you. right. So. Here we are, of course, for episode number 71 of the show. Um, And of course, we're doing this thing, this this new gimmick here on the show, where each episode number is going to correspond with a year, a particular year of cinema. Of course, that being 1971. We put up four movies on our Instagram page from 1971. And this is the movie that you voted for, which of course is Wake in Fright, directed by... Ted Kachev, this is the film you guys chose, which I, I was a little surprised by because it is probably the deep, the, the deeper cut mm-hmm. uh, option on the on the menu for 1971. So very cool that we'll be getting into this movie, uh, very close and personal film to me, uh, which we'll get into for you know reasons we'll get into later. Um, but before we get into this episode, guys, um, I just want to give a quick shout out. To our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash One Fucking Hour, which you can sign up for right now for five dollars a month, and that's where you can get the only place you can get our exclusive feature-length audio commentary tracks that we're uh, now three deep on that that we have recorded. We've done we've done Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we've done Star Wars. You can grab up there, but the most recent one, which we just finished recording the other day, as we're recording this. Uh, was our feature-length audio commentary track to Psycho 98 uh, by Gus Van Zandt.
1: No, but what I was talking about was this stupid insert shot, like right about now. Like right now, I think and um how do you know (laughs) like like the fly on the sandwich like there's no hitchcock (laughs) like psycho like let me get that fly on a sandwich to show like to show what
2: vince is like immediately off-putting he's like physically imposing you know he's like a big beefy jarhead football player it, it looks
1: like at any moment it looks like when they yell cut in any of these scenes, he high-fives the crew. <laughs> Why not? Like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that was money, baby. Tell right? me that right. wasn't money, baby. Yeah, exactly. Psycho, no, really, baby. Can, can you not see? Would you be surprised if he high-fived at the end of this show? No, shot? he like, did. Like, he did. Like, like that's what's
0: yeah. up. Woefully misguided shot-for-shot remake of Psycho, Hitchcock Psycho. Holy shit. That was fun, though. It was yeah. fun. I can't believe we've it, had to watch that film twice for this podcast. I know. Never
1: again. <laughs> Never again. Uh it was no, it was a blast. I mean, we just went shot by shot, scene for scene, just like tearing it apart. You know, the the, the you know on the um, autopsy table. It was it was, it was I pretty don't, wild. I don't know if we stopped talking the entire time. You know, like, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no. It uh, was there's a lot was, to tear apart.
0: absolutely a little bit of a different experience than the usual love fest Mm -hmm. that we get into Mm -hmm. on these commentaries this is picking apart all the reasons why this movie was a fucking massive failure so if you want to hang out kick back (laughs) watch psycho 98 with your boys get on patreon.com slash one fucking hour right now sign up for just five bucks and you're in welcome to the special people's club there you go um all right Boys, should we get to tonight's uh, flick? Should we get to uh, should we get to the to the to the main main show here? Yeah, yeah. All right, That's Queen. Okay, I'm gonna put the clock up. It's actually very appropriate because I am both sunburned and hungover. So I think that's the <laughs> no p- perfect spot to be in for for this. So <laughs> yeah. all right, clock on the screen. Here we go. Boom. Okay. Little bit of background here on the film, on Wake and Fright, before we get into it here. This is, uh, I believe, from the New York Times Review, uh, from the re-release of the film, which we'll get into. All right. Set in the Australian outback, the 1971 film Wake and Fright follows a vacationing school teacher named John Grant, who gets waylaid in a rural hell, a.k.a. a small town called the Yabba. When the locals aren't drinking themselves silly and brawling, they drive Ford Fair Lanes to hunt down kangaroos and crowd together in gambling halls to bet on flips of a coin. Loud and proud, they regard turning down a beer as the gravest possible insult. Together, they rendered Grant's inescapable visit as a nightmarish loss of self-control and civilization marked by drunkenness, withering heat, and sexual misadventure. And Nick Cave has said that this film is the best and most terrifying film about Australia in existence. Now, uh-huh. um, yeah, that's very interesting, and and also a lot of people <laughs> do call uh, *Wake and Fright* one of the seminal, foundational movies of the Australian New Cinema movement. Of course, you know we've covered one of those uh, before on the channel. We did uh, we did *Walkabout*, of course, uh, directed by I'm hungover uh, uh, Rogue, Nick Rogue. Thank you very much, Nicholas Rowe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, okay. but what's it? But but what's interesting about *Wake and Fright* being such a foundational Australian, you know, New Wave film is that it's directed by a Canadian. Ted Kotcheff, <laughs> and its screenwriter, of course, Evan Jones, who adapted the book that this movie is based on, is Jamaican. So these two couldn't be further from um, wow. <laughs> Australia. Uh, but it made such an impact on the scene, guys, in Australia that even you know filmmakers like Peter Weir, you know, of course, who did Last Picnic at Hanging Rock, would later come up to Ted Kotcheff many years later, many years later, and say, Wake and Fright showed us the way you know, in mm. terms of what was possible, uh, making a films here locally. So, but I thought we, we would kick this off real quick, because we are going to spend some time getting into its backstory, we're going to get into its release history, it's kind of being rediscovered as a lost movie, a movie that actually was lost for decades. Yeah. Um, we're going to get into all that. But I thought I'd kick it to you, Tom. Do you have any sort of uh, like, what's your personal history with this uh, one of a kind flick?
1: right yeah it's limited it's um like you said it was lost and there's lost movies and then there's really lost movies you know what i mean like uh like i can't see this you know and there were a lot of rumors about it so it's me in the 90s and i'm looking for this i'm looking for that i'm finding it i'm not finding it but then wake and fright was always on everyone's list and um you know it was a little bit of telephone probably in people articulating like, uh, the, like someone who maybe saw it and then told somebody and then told somebody and they were just like, uh, eventually it just became like, Oh, that movie with all that kangaroo murdering, yeah. just so much kangaroo slaughter. And it became the lead thing. And I got a little freaked out by it. And I was like, I'm not in a big hurry to see wake yeah. because they're making it sound like, yeah, like a third of the film is just slow. Like, 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 like the throat slitting of, of kangaroos. And I was just like, Oh, oh my God. And, We'll talk about it. It goes down somewhat, but it wasn't as bad as I thought. But I was, when I first saw it, I was really gearing myself up. I was like, oh God, that's a kangaroo. Here we go. You know, but again, it's not what the myth, the rumors, right? You know, had led me.
0: Wow. And then eventually you saw it, it, right? You eventually saw it. Yeah. And And there was so much
1: more to it than just, uh, you know, the threat of that. And, uh, you know, so I I got to unclench my fist, basically. But no, no, it's totally cool. Uh, It's really bewitching, and we'll get into it. But, yeah, it just just had a little bit of a weird lost film legend uh, until it was found.
0: Absolutely, Marcus. You got any sort of personal history with the film, or just your reaction to seeing it again? Or I don't go super
2: deep on it, but it's just one of those films that you do a double take, like the first time you hear it. Like, why haven't I heard of this film before? You know, it's from nineteen seventy-one, an acclaimed film from seventy-one that I've never even heard of before. And um, I don't know. I think I guess it must have been. I don't know if I saw it at the Cinna Family or where, but it was around the time that I was kind of loosely investigating all the exploitation stuff that was happening, like not quite hollywood doc that biker movie stone uh, stunt mm. rock or um, mm. or tom's a recommendation to me bad boy bubby <laughs> oh yeah no it wasn't uh. i didn't do that <laughs> you, you're misremembering okay I, 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 don't I, watch I bad boy bubby okay <laughs> no, i didn't i just didn't because mm-hmm. you okay. know
1: why drum roll I've never seen it.
0: So. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> there you go. I couldn't have. So anyway, whatever. There's lots of good Australian movies. Stone is a great example of an unearthed, a uh, deep cut. Love Stone. like basically the past 15 years, a lot of really rich, deep cut uh, Australian stuffs popped in, including this film tonight. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. You, M- Marcus, you uh, brought up the documentary film, Not Quite Hollywood, from 2008 which uh, is this deep dive uh, into the history of Oz- Ozploitation and all of these movies that, you know, obviously Mad Max being the one that everybody's sort of, you know, who doesn't mm. know anything about exploitation knows that it's an Australian film. And that was a huge introduction to a bunch of those movies for me as well, too, including this movie. Because there is a scene in not quite Hollywood, the documentary where it's that incredible sequence where you see the guy fighting and wrestling with that like life-sized kangaroo, which was to me like and, and it's backlit by like the car headlights. And to me, it was just one of the most insane things I would ever seen, like what the fuck is that? you know <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that was the only reference point I had for it until flash forward. I, th- I want to say a year or two later, uh, when I was uh, visiting Los Angeles and hanging out with you guys, you somehow following uh, Wake and Fright's uh, 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 premiere at Cannes, because it was actually re-premiered at Cannes. It's one of the only movies to play twice at the Cannes Film Festival. And yeah. you guys had but w- were able to get a copy of it following that. And that's where I finally saw it. I'm like, holy shit, that fucking movie is finally playing. I got to go see it. So I went down to CineFamily in Los Angeles. You guys had it. And it just blew me the fuck away. I mean, it just it really created like again like Marcus like you said how have I never heard of this movie and then here I am watching this and it, it was this nightmarish otherworldly dreamlike crazy desert fever dream movie that kind of felt like a Twilight Zone episode earlier before mm-hmm. you recorded you were saying it's kind of like after hours where here's a guy kind of trapped and he can't escape you know this uh his surroundings yeah. and the, all uh, of that stuff. nightmare yeah yuppie nightmare <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah it's
1: it's Kafka-esque too to <laughs> To, there to there's you know, it's it's over applied, but this is that's a good descriptor, you know, it's Kafkaesque,
0: yeah. And I'm sure we'll get into this a little later down the road. But for me, I was working in you know, uh, like you know, distributing cult films, uh. You know, putting them out on Blu-ray, DVD, back in theaters. I was working for various companies at the time. I think at the time I was with Severin Films. Shout out, you mentioned Stone. We actually released Stone, so we, we uh, had done that there one. There you go. <laughs> and uh, I really wanted Wake and Fright for Severin, but um, and after ever ever after seeing it after, at, at, at CineFamily, I had repeatedly made phone calls, sent emails to try and get the rights, but the rights for the US were never sorted out, not available. It was super complicated. So it wasn't until I worked at the Alamo draft house uh, with draft house films that we were able to, that was the, the timing had lined up where the rights were available and sorted. And so we did, the, we, we spearheaded the re-release of this movie. So if Ooh. I hadn't seen it at CineFamily or whatever, who knows what, 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 what would have happened. So, um, That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, that is wild. Small yeah. world of yeah. one fucking hour. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But it, it, okay. it, it, sp- it sparked a whole renaissance for this movie in in many, many, yeah. many ways, which we'll get to. Um but uh, let's talk about the director first, because to me, you know, Ted Kotcheff, he's a guy I, I got to know super well during the process of uh, doing the re-release with Wake and Fright. I mean, we opened the movie in New York. We, we did uh, runs of the movie in Austin and Los Angeles. So I traveled everywhere with this guy and really got to know him. And he's a very sweet, awesome guy who has one of the most interesting, diverse uh, filmographies, <laughs> IMDb's. Yeah. That you will ever let's see. Rattle
1: some titles off. Let's let's go. Give us All some, right, take us to school on him.
0: Yeah. So so Ted Kotcheff, of course, is probably most known for two films. Uh, one of them being Rambo: First Blood, which is absolutely a fucking five star movie in my book, and it mm. it definitely it's its legacy is bogged down by the sequels, of course, yeah, in, yeah. in the in, in the Rambo franchise. But the first movie is just an absolute amazing, you know, shell Shock Vietnam vet film it's it's absolutely it's one of my favorite films of the 80s it's it's
1: not a sly stone stallone cartoon you know (laughs) no it's Mm -hmm. like a real film and that's a real character and it's Mm kind of like gritty and dirty it's
0: yeah. one of the best. So he's known for that, but he's also known for Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Marcus's Which favorite. I'm personally a big fan. I've probably seen that movie more than just
2: about anything. You know, <laughs> really? <Yeah. laughs> I think we had, it's one of the tapes we had like on VHS as a kid. Oh my So I just God. watched it over and over again. Now, knowing now that it's a guy who's like probably in his That's 50s funny. making it or something around that time. Uh-huh. It makes yeah, sense yo, least, why yeah. it's a little bit, why it's an 80s. A kind of young person's movie that is just a little bit out of touch. You know what I mean? Like it was right. yeah. by an older yeah. generation. It's just, it's just a weird premise, you
0: know, you will see Ted Kotcheff in weekend at Bernie's. He is shirtless <laughs> in the beginning. So shout out Ted. Uh, okay. <laughs> but he's also the man behind one of my favorite cult deprogramming flicks. Uh, the, the movie starring James Woods split image. Is right. a real good time. That's a
1: fun one. That's a rip yeah. roaring movie. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Fonda's the cult leader. Um yes. and, yeah. uh, but but yes, James Woods steals the show as the deprogrammer, the Falmount deprogrammer. It's a yeah. lot of fun. Mm-hmm.
0: It is. Yeah. It's it's James Woods being James Woods, you know, talking about like how his apartment smells like a pisshole. It's it's amazing. Um it's awesome. <laughs> And Ted also spearheaded, uh, really, a because he is Canadian, and this is a seminal Canadian Jewish film that he directed, which is called The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. You, ever, you guys ever seen that? It's, uh, I never have, yeah. Oh, man. It's actually really, it. really, 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 really great. It's really great. All right. You have, like, okay. Richard Dreyfuss. It's really his breakout starring role. Uh, that kind of I think is what got him on the uh, on the radar for Jaws and everything. He is uh, he, it, it it's 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 very much like a proto Coen Brothers like like if the Coen Ooh. Brothers had a seventies career, it probably would have been something like The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. It's really great. Oh. And then he also did one of my favorite fucking seventies movies ever, which I'm going to force you guys to do for one fucking hour at some point. <laughs> okay, All okay. of these I would do, but I'm going to force you to definitely right. do North Dallas Forty. Uh, right. Which is one of my favorite sports based films of all time. A, a very gritty look at the world of the NFL in the 70s with Nick yeah. Nolte just tearing it up. Yeah. It's one it's of very the best. Cool. I Nolte would do it. Facts. I'm waiting for you. Like, let's okay. go. Let's go. Yeah. All right. We're going to do it. So, right. anyway, so that's just that's Ted. He, he, that's Ted. He's done so much stuff. Uh, definitely encourage you to check all those movies out if you have what a problem. Wild experience. CV. You know, that's just all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is. It is. It really is. Yeah.
1: And then um, this. Enormous, you know, 90 minute nightmare. We're gonna do now, you know,
0: (laughs) yeah. So, somehow, in that, yes,
1: there was continuity with this film and any of those that you mentioned.
0: I know exactly. Like, here he goes, he's making First Blood, you know, and like, like in the 80s, and it's this monumental success, launches a huge franchise, but then also he's kind of setting the bar for Australian new wave at the same time. It just makes no sense. Um. So what's really cool about Ted is that, you know, growing up in Canada, there wasn't much of a film business back in the 60s and things in in Canada. It wasn't happening very much. So Ted traveled to the UK where he started, where he made, I think, three films there. And that's where he met uh, this writer, Evan Jones, the guy I mentioned earlier, who's Jamaican. And he was hired to um, adapt this book here, which I'll cut to, which is the Wake and Fright novel by Kenneth Cook nice little worn copy here that I've, penguin uh, public yeah exactly nice and um, so uh, Evan Jones um, adapted that uh, into this the screenplay and 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 suggested that Ted check it out like hey you should read this you should check this out I think you might like it and hell you might even be able to make a great movie out of it so that's basically it that's how, how Ted winds up in Australia And Ted spends uh, a month in Australia. And this is key to what makes this movie really great is that he spent a long time just touring around with those outsider, you know, perspective eyes, you know, meeting people learning about the culture seeing like oh shit that's weird look at these people oh my god right what's going on like
1: all this stuff that locals take for granted Mm -hmm. and he's not even english you know he's canadian you know there's a relation you know the the empire Mm -hmm. but yeah everything must have just like caught him as being slightly odd and and that he picked up on it and uh you know made note Um, i love when a foreigner is addressing you know, a place, like Italians doing America and on and on, you know, so. I was
2: thinking about you saying that when I was watching this because, it, yeah, it's totally yeah, yeah. what it is. And a great detail is like he's on the train and there's like a jug of water above the door with like a <laughs> reusable glass, right. like a community glass that everyone right, uses, right, right. To stay, a drink of water.
1: How about like enormous uh, backroom coin tossing? Like, yeah, like yeah. that's either that's either they made that up or that is just no, that happens like, Too yeah, up. God. Who would have? He wouldn't not have known that if he did not wander around,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, in the outback areas, the towns.
0: Yeah, awesome. that's the okay. That's the game of two up that you're referring to, which is on display <laughs> in the movie when they're you know basically betting on heads or tails, which is totally shit. mental. you really break times that two. down, yeah, <laughs> yeah, times two, right? Of course. Um, but yeah, so he's learning about the culture, and up to this point, before this movie's made, you're not really seeing a lot of films about. The darker side of Australia, or you're not really seeing the inward examination of this culture, this outback culture. And that is something that, of course, maybe you do need an outsider's perspective on in order to do, right? Like you really need yeah. that objective viewpoint. Sure. Um, but he really did fall in love with, it, it, you know, this was a complex and complicated thing because he did fall in love with the details of the existence. You know, the harshness of it. Obviously, the oppressive sun, the heat. We talk about that with Maybe, the Texas Chainsaw you know, Massacre. You know, right. and that and that leading to madness, right? Like sun madness. And, uh, but he did develop a fondness for all the characters and the hard men of the, you know, working on the frontier of is, Australia. Is,
1: uh, well, I'm wondering, is the Yaba a real place?
0: I okay. earlier today is like
2: the Yaba's, like, uh, approximation of the town that they actually shot this in, which I can't remember the name of right oh, now. Okay. But, like, I think it might be...
0: He might be a made-up
2: name for that town or
0: something. Oh, it maybe you right. And the slang well, the term nickname. is... the nickname? Yabba. Yeah. The Yaba. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Yabba. But uh, w- one thing that is cool is that he did find... Like, Ted found kinship in... Or he found, like, he could relate, I guess, to the culture of, uh, of Australia. Because he said that, you know... I, I remember him telling me this, that he didn't find it that much different than the Canadian North. You know, it's the same oh, vast... Right empty spaces that are paradoxically not liberating but were claustrophobic and imprisoning at the same time and and they also you know gave birth to all these hyper masculine societies um and and then he would go on to describe to other people like you know like basically canada is australia on the rocks you know is what he would say um i totally
1: get that yeah because there's that like kind of uh, ultra macho, like mountain man, like lager, like maple syrup sucking, you know, like, yeah. uh, like, like, uh, monosyllabic, uh, dudes who live up there in <laughs> cabins. Holy shit. Interesting.
2: It is, it is really unique. I was trying to think of, imagine like what the setting would be like in America. Cause this feels so unique, like just the dynamic. And it's like, you know, like, uh, it, it's a city that's kind of rural and remote in a way. And like a lot of the um, outsider, you know, outside fish in the, you know, in a new territory of films in America are like in a rural area where there's not that many people, you know, right. right. But this is like kind of a thriving city with like lots of, you know, menacing sinister people everywhere, you know? Yeah. And you uh, know, that's, sort that's of struck by up. that weird dynamic. You know? You know,
1: Marcus, what you were saying just to, to piggyback on what you're saying, it's like, I was trying to gauge the size of the Yaba and it has an unemployment office. You know, yeah. like, like uh, it's closed because it was Saturday or something, but like um, it is of, of the scale where there's an unemployment office. And it's I was like a like,
2: small city. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I was like, because yeah. I thought they were way out there. So it was, it was not confusing in a bad way. It was just sort of like. I was getting my bearings because it is so exotic. It is
2: remote. It's like rural and city at the same time. So it does. It feels like 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 a a town. town Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's it's like an intermediary town because, you know, the movie obviously opens with this character. I'm sure we'll get into this. um, You know, played by uh, Gary Bond. He plays John Grant. And he's a school teacher. He's a, yeah, he's incredible in the film. He is a British school teacher who's way out in the even more ruralness of uh australia it's this town called tabunda i think is what it's called and he works there uh-huh. and uh, he describes in the movie the character describes this f- crazy thing which is that um in order for teachers to get placement in these you know rural areas of australia there's a bond that they basically have to right. you know work out in, in you know so, so they'll fulfill their whole contract and um right and so he he's on uh, winter winter break, Christmas break. Yeah. Well, it's a Christmas has, movie. It is a Christmas <laughs> it's, movie. It's, and it's a rare it, Christmas
1: movie. It does. Blinding <laughs> oppressive sun. Yeah, yeah.
0: and it, it adds a whole nother layer of craziness that this is all in this oppressive heat Dude, version of Christmas. Totally. That's like otherworldly. But anyway, yeah. he's trying to go visit his uh, gal pal who's back in Sydney, and in order to get mm-hmm. there, he's basically got to take a train into into the yabba and then from stop the yabba over, kind of. stop over he'll be able to fly to Sydney but he's got to spend one day there and of course right shit right, goes right. awry we'll get into that and he's stuck there forever yeah. um, but um, right.
1: in a loop and by the way when you say works as a teacher uh, the opening of the movie is so funny and cool to me in articulating uh, the characters the character we have here this teacher because if I might Maybe I'm getting this wrong, but his teaching method is to sit in the desk and like stare at a page, and all of the children are just staring at him silently as he silently just looks down at a piece of paper, yeah. and then it goes ring, and it's like okay, good, you know, great class. Yeah. So like he just doesn't, he just doesn't give a f, I guess. Is well, he obviously
0: character. he hates it, and there's obviously a class dynamic right. going on in this movie as well too, and you know, you, you know, he's right. he's definitely. Like, he he's, he he's I think that's trying to communicate that he's, you know, not there by choice. He hates where he is. He hates the placement that he's in. And he'll do anything in order to get out of this. And that's the trouble that he fucking gets into in the Yabba. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But real quick, before we get into the movie, just, you know, let's just talk a little bit about why this movie was so rare, why this movie was so fucking hard to see for so long. Real fast. So this movie did premiere at Cannes in 1971. It was in competition for the Palme d'Or. And there's a funny little anecdote. I'm sure you guys will appreciate this. During the premiere screening of this movie, uh, Ted was seated watching the movie. All of a sudden, there's this fucking guy behind Ted who keeps making who keeps talking during the entire movie. He's like, wow, this is great. Wow. You know? And then like all the sequences he's reacting to. (laughs) And it's like, oh my God, the the, the sexual assault scene that we'll get to a little later on. The guy saying, oh no, he's not going to do that. He's not going to go all the way. Oh my God. He's going all the way. He's going all the way. And Ted's like, Ted keeps like looking back like, Jesus fucking Christ. Who the fuck is this guy? Uh After the screening, of course, he he Ted meets with someone from United Artists and he's like, Yeah, you know, enjoy the movie, great. This fucking guy behind me though, do you know who this fucking guy is? Oh look, he's right over there. Do you know who the fuck that guy is? He's like, Oh, he's just some young director who nobody really knows uh, his name is martin scorsese no one really knows who he is Oh, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> get out of here and
1: he's all chatty kathy at the screen yeah, yeah. Wow, interesting but but he also was really engaged he was his mind was being oh. kind of blown oh yeah and, and i was, see that i can no, see he,
0: that he was blown Imagine. the fuck away that's cool so much that. to the point so much to the point that Very he was blown cool. away that when 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 um, Scorsese became uh, in charge or whatever of the Cannes Classics Society or whatever like mm-hmm. year one, he's like the movie I want to play first is fucking this, you know. So <laughs> Dude. so it goes it goes full circle and it's pretty <laughs> wow. pretty amazing. Um, but this movie had a real tough time outside of France. France was really the only country that where this movie was a hit, which it really was. Um, I guess they like their male existential movies in France. Um, <laughs> but uh, in America, it played in a, only, it opened in a single screen in New York City by United Artists, oh. and they released it during a blizzard, and no one came, oh. and that was it. Oh, shit. That it, was you know, it, it was
1: retitled as, was this when it was retitled as Outback?
0: That's right. To maybe yeah. try to have
1: people, you know, have some kind of grounded understanding with the title like oh it's a movie set in australia if maybe you've heard of it but that still probably didn't help so that's it that's pretty much the u.s uh life uh, of this film
0: that's it and, I, and apparently it played on television once in 1988 and uh that was really Jesus. the source of any bootleg that you could find for oh, years and okay. years and years was from one television broadcast. I, um, I love the title,
2: but you know, it is a good idea to rename it, I think, because otherwise it does sound like a horror movie. I mean, it just does. Right. Well, right.
0: Yeah, there you go. it is. Frightmare. It It is a fright Um, but uh, in and then, of course, in Australia, it was a different story. I mean, it, people were horrified by this movie. It, it, mm. it rang all the cultural alarm bells like foreigners mm. trying to tell us we're monsters. Right. It, 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 it played Australian cinemas. People were not happy. There was either wow. stunned silences or cries of that's not us on the screen. You know, there was a lot of pushback to the this grotesque
1: movie. Distortion of us.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> interesting. So they got all they got all fanicky. So they weren't supportive, you know, of this film like having a life, uh, you know, in, in, in the film world. Wow.
0: Well, I think all of the like, you know, all the artists, the future filmmakers, the people in the, in the in the art in the art world, there definitely sure. responded to it because it was a a version of Australia they knew to be true, but they had never seen before on the screen, represented in that way. So it definitely yeah. some reviewers got it, but the general public didn't. And one thing about this movie that I'm sure we'll talk about that's super cool is obviously it blends this like doc style where it's capturing the naturalism Mm -hmm. of, you know, as we were saying, awesome. the set pieces of this movie are true and authentic to what you would see in 1970, 1971 in these areas, right? But it also blends together... And one uh, reviewer from The Australian at the time of its release pointed out that uh, it wasn't just the, re- it wasn't realism per se, but it was more in the nature of a dream told with a dream's yeah. intensity and and a dream's yep. logic, or sorry, a dream's illogic. And so I think that's <laughs> also great that this movie ha- has a footing in the doc realism, but then also has a footing in the nightmare yeah. quality that it has so yeah.
1: that's a that's a mean trick if you can uh, if you can do that as a filmmaker you know what i mean because you really feel like that fucking coin toss shit is like i don't want to be there like i would not want to be there you know <laughs> like, <laughs> well yeah it's like and- this, the scent of bo number one you know <laughs> like and I, i'm serious like the the, yeah. the 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 stench of the environment you know and this they're all yelling and it's it's so oppressive but um i pretty much felt that it was real and and it was just like, like no one there is an actor except the lead guy Gary, you know. Um, and it's just them on a typical Friday night, you know what I mean? And they're just doing their thing, and this is all very much authentic, but it is an inherently surreal, nightmarish thing. But he films it so well too, like those great shots, like when the coin gets tossed mm-hmm. the second time, his his time at, at tossing, and he, he looks right at the hot white light above all of them, and it's. Shoo- becomes like the sun above them and stuff. Just a very impressionistic and uh yeah. Um, that's a perfect example in the film of the coin tossing shit. What's it called?
0: Uh two up. Two is up the name is the name of
1: the game. Two up, mate.
2: Two up, mate.
1: you <laughs> gotta <laughs> throw it around your back.
2: Yeah. Um <laughs> uh, ahead, wait, are you saying that like the reason it was lost is because it like it, uh it just it, it didn't do that well and that's why it was lost. Because I would think that like yeah at the very least isn't this guy chips rafferty who plays the the sheriff of the town of the policeman he seems like a, it's a pretty big actor in hollywood yeah i mean so not in hollywood well. in australia he seems like he's like the john yeah. wayne of australia or something so what you know you'd think at the very least that like his one of his films would have been preserved you know and not lost
0: yeah yeah i mean you'd think but basically the you know to 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 get to this part of the conversation, uh, the movie had a very complicated rights financing agreement uh, in terms of okay. how it came about. And, and one day, I, I think people stopped caring after a while. And then one day when people started to request to see the movie more, like in the 90s and you know, wanted to basically rediscover this movie and for it to be seen again, the materials were just not there. They were just gone. And um, a, a um, very um, aggressive search was kicked off by the editor of the film um, mm. around the time of the year 2000, I want to say. And he really... I mean, there's a whole write-up about it um, in the Blu-ray release, which we did. Boom, boom, boom. Right here. This is the Ayo. Wake and Fright nice. Blu-ray that we released at Drafthouse. But we sort of get into that there. Um, Oop, that's Tom. Uh, where we get into that where um, basically... Um, it 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 basically took the efforts of like his secretary and everybody him going pounding the pavement to try and find this and of course it winds up in the last place no it's not in the UK no it's not in New York it's not in Australia it's in a warehouse in Pittsburgh is where the materials wound Damn. up and uh, and as the as the legend goes they basically found these materials one week before they were going to be destroyed cuz they were actually marked for destruction so it was like this perfect Holy time shit, in order to get geez. these materials and then of course they were all shipped over to australia where they began this extensive restoration you know process yeah. and it played can and opened you know in, in 2009 or i think it was here we are here i think are. Uh,
1: just to analyze i mean a lot of films fall through the cracks uh for different reasons and in different ways and i think this one it just uh, didn't have the benefit of um like people didn't see it enough or support enough to or have heard about it in general to even care to know that it is lost you know what i mean it's just simply obscure like it just it just it just lost in the the sands of time it just kept burying it and it was like uh because there's no i mean other than that one character actor marcus you're mentioning there isn't like the lead guy didn't become like a huge star like like uh and ted Kotcheff is sort of confusing it wasn't like you know I must see Ted Koch's first film, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it just yeah, kind of, um, yeah, yeah. it didn't have a big buzzy thing. It's just kind of like a really good film. and uh, But it's especially compounded by Australia maybe still being finicky about mis- their, their, the crass representation of them, you know. So, like, there wasn't a lot of support, but there wasn't even a lot of, um, Not, I wouldn't say there wasn't interest. It was just like no one knew of it to be interested in. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's like
0: unknown, unknown. It's, yeah, it's more right. unknown
1: than than lost, you yeah.
0: know? Yeah, it, it, true. And, and further evidence is this movie didn't even get released on VHS, you know? So yeah. if you don't have a VHS release, I mean, you're fucking doomed, right? No one's yeah. going to be checking it in It would have helped on, it, actually. You're right. Yeah, it would have. A and little bit. No one's checking in on where these materials are if there's no VHS release. And then, of course... Mm-hmm you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, but one more thing I said, like it it was,
1: it was talked about in the nineties, but it just, uh, it was only talked about. And that was rare for a film to not actually wind up even in a poor state, like, uh, you know, multi-generation as they used to call it dubs from like the USA today channel, you know, like, uh,
0: right, right. Like
1: it was, it was, it was, um, because other films, you know, they're not on VHS, but like they do, you know, release, but they do pop up and, uh, anyway yeah. yeah so it's, so, um, it's always yeah.
2: weird when something that recent is lost like you expect a film from the 20s to be gone or the teens or whatever yeah. but when someone's one's from the 70s and people can't find it it's
1: well, I, let's just wrap it up there's still film I mean with this statement there's still films that are lost right now from you know 30 40 years ago and they don't, people don't even know that they don't know of them, like you were saying, like yeah. were channeling Donald Rumsfeld, Marcus, you know, <laughs> they, you know un- unknown unknowns, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like there are films now that people just don't know that they want to fuck with, you know? It's just... Uh, oh, it's yeah. Just, you know, they're they're yeah. disconnected, I guess, is yeah. the term I would like to use. They're yeah. Disconnected.
0: Yeah, no, uh, yeah, 100%. And also, I, I do think part of it is that Australia also had a not the greatest in terms of preserving their own history in a lot of ways i mean there's a there's some factor out there that 90% of all silent era australian films are gone forever you know just gone right. there you go so you know there, there you is go. there is a basis for that in australia i think uh one last thing before we get into the actual set pieces of the movie let's get into the movie just uh, of course we got to have the obligatory pauline kale mention on the uh oh on the nice. hour Ooh.
1: I didn't here's, know she went into it. What did she say?
0: Here's here's some quotes from her review, which oh, are, are pretty great. Uh, okay. 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 Here we go. Uh, the rough white men out there in the wilderness, she wrote of the film, are a new race to us. They're beasts, but not villains. They're decent and unaware of wrongdoing that suggests that they are unreachable. And she also goes on to talk about the style of film. The semi-documentary aspects of the film are so much more vivid and authentic and original. Jones and Kachef have seen the life in a more objective way, almost as if they were cultural anthropolo- Sorry, help me. Anthropo- po- anthropologists. Anthropologists. <laughs> <Yeah>. Thank you. <laughs> cultural <laughs> right. anthropologists examining a newly developed form of primitive life. He didn't yeah. expand this vision, but he got onto something bigger than the plot. You come away with a sense of epic horror. You came out with the perception that this master race is retarded.
1: Oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's it. the R word right at the end. Mic drop for Pauline Kiel. Look, I got to say, when she's right, she's right. You know, like, and what I mean by that is like, she occasionally, her take on something uh, was absolutely unique at the time. Uh, and almost nobody had a take of any kind, but the fact that she had a take and then she had a good take on this film, you know, good, good on her, man. You know, yeah. like, uh, you know, she, she had some great insights, and uh, I got to read that later. Anyway, so cool. Pauline Kiel, yeah here we go.
0: Yeah, so now getting into the film itself, I mean, two of the characteristics that make this sort of lost weekend, yuppie nightmare, whatever you want to call it, very different than other films of the ilk is that the people that are surrounding our main character and causing this to be a nightmare are not ho- they are not hostile like a deliverance or even an after yeah. hours, if you will. No, they're yeah. aggressively they they have they have aggressive hospitality. Is the way right. that the right. character even talks about it? We've all experienced
1: uh, that, right? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I have so. like two. The handshakes are too hearty, kind <laughs> of. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Definitely that. Yeah, I remember that happening with my mom's friend,
0: who's like a wrestler, like crushing my hand. There you go. Harder. Yeah. But yeah,
1: squeeze yeah, harder. that's uh, <laughs> that is its own kind of menace to it, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, or eat this, like like you have to eat more of this, eat more of that, like a family member. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, you definitely have that. Um, but so you have that, and then you also have the fact that yeah, these. People that are supposedly supposed to be his friends in this sort of situation that he's, that he's found himself are his key tormentors, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. it really, it really, um, yeah, creates this sort of shocking, um, existential, uh, like basically, here, here's a well to do guy from the UK who's come into the situation who becomes completely depraved. And becomes a monster animal yeah. by the end of just a two days, right? Two three days. Well, that's almost getting into
1: like a Lord of the Flies kind of thing, you know, like, uh, yeah. like, like you leave civilization, like your 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 nice tie that was around your neck in the morning is now around your uh, your head, you know, and it's bloodied, <laughs> you know, it's that yeah. kind of feel, you know. Um, but that's the one thing I love is like, you know, it's it's like who is the guy, the the, the you know the center of the film who's who's kind of a proxy for us, the normals the people who are not in this world that he's, you know, dropped into. It's like he's a little dinged up. He's kind of screwed up himself. I and mean, that's that's classic storytelling. But I like seeing that there's a point where, you know, he's about to bet big at that coin toss shit. Mm. And uh, he just looks at his luggage and he sees all these boring textbooks and he's just aghast verbally. He's just like, oh, God, math, you know, for <laughs> ninth grade or whatever. He's like, I yeah. can't. You know, he's like, I can't do another second of this. And he's like... And he, and he is... That's the other thing, just let, I'll say, is setting up the character. He is having a lot of fun. The film makes sure to cut to our guy, Gary, the, you know, um, having a great time drinking, shooting kangaroos, driving recklessly, right?
0: hmm Yeah, no. I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. And that gambling game we keep referring to is kind of one of the best first set pieces of the movie because... Good. Yeah, here he is, you know, he's just passing through this town, he's got to make it through the night and then he's off to Sydney to be with his girlfriend, but basically when he's here in this situation, he sees a ch- he sees a way out. He sees if he can make a $1000 betting on this game that he'll that he'll be able to buy out of his contract and he'll never have to go back to that mm-hmm. little Tabunda town ever again. So it it mm-hmm. flirts with that, but like any good scene from any one of these gambling addict movies that are so hard yeah. to watch like california split the gambler I know any of it's these painful. movies it's painful when you see the guy you know okay he's he's won some money but then of course there's that thought no ah i got to go back <laughs> yeah you you, know? you you
1: don't see him walk away from the table i mean i always have I'm, i always yell at the screen just fucking walk away i know and i guess yeah. that's they're yeah. gamblers and i'm not a gambler i'll just my little headline bumper sticker is if you have an addictive personality do not watch this film
0: yeah true we're
1: kind of bearing the lead too because everyone is offering drinking and uh, getting another drink it's all drunk it's all booze beer all the time and yeah. then also gambling because there's also this that great shot of like the guys just like b- mindlessly playing the slot machine in this row mm-hmm. you know it's like uh it just probably ticks a lot of really bad boxes in a, an
0: addictive person's head, right? I mm-hmm. think it's right? I th- yeah, I I think it's in the running for the drunkest film of all time, like hands down. It, if it's not <laughs> what is. If it's not yeah, what is. Yeah, exactly. Oh, really I, I'm not telling a lie. Uh, but beer it's like beer is air. It's just breathing. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't drink the
2: water. He says, like, uh, you know, the doc mm-hmm. says, don't drink the water in the town. So, like, it's for washing your face or whatever. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> Holy yeah. shit! That's
1: some real talk. That's some alcoholic <laughs> talk, man. Yeah, that's for I, washing up.
2: Yeah, have a beer. It, it is water. weird. Like, it feels so menacing at first. that like, when the sheriff is giving him beer after beer after beer you know, you're sitting there going like, why is he trying to get this guy drunk? Like, what's he going to do to him? You know? And it's like, no, he's just trying to make him have a good time. Right? like <laughs> I know. He's not, yeah. he's not a bad person. He helps right. him, you know, but you are on edge. Like, what is this guy's yeah. plan? It does. It feels very menacing. And yeah. it's like, uh, you know, at the end of it, I was kind of wondering, like, you know, none of these people do anything that, well, there's, there's some people that do some bad stuff to him, but you're just kind of left wondering like are the residents bad people it's like no they're just really kind of debaucherous and they're just they're themselves immoral yeah. and uncivilized but they're not bad they're not all bad people they in fact they, they're they're trying to help him a lot of the times you know
1: kind and, of yeah <laughs> yeah and to help him just have a good time mate you know
0: yeah, Which, <laughs> and that's
1: what makes it so like uh, uh, cognitively dissonant, you know, because it's because, it, yes, I had two is just the, the, the menacing uh, red flags are constantly happening. But it's like, you know, no one winds up like tying him up in a basement, you know.
2: Uh, no, you know, well, him not trying to, to rob rag. him or something. Right, right, right,
0: <laughs> right. Well, there's not that like traditional, you know, things in movies that would go astray. But there's a few other things that happen. Um, but, 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 but. But uh, one of the great, just stylistic moments in the film, as you said, Tom, is when he goes back to the to the gambling game. He's gonna throw. He's now sitting on the floor, or he's standing on the floor with the two coins, flipping them. He sees, of course, there's that great sort of foreshadowing moment where he's looking straight into the lamp and it blinds him. Um, But then, of course, he's flipped them the wrong way and he's got to do it again. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the great punk rock edits in the movie when he fucking tosses the coins up. We see them flipping in the air and then you don't even see if they land or not. Just hard yep. cut to him naked in the bed. Um with <laughs> and- his
1: ass in the- no, and no and also if I'm not mistaken, though, before that hard cut of him naked in the bed is I think it's silent. Yeah. It's another right. good example of like it's like pure silence where it's just like like uh It's a close-up of his eyes. Yeah, the room has gone silent for you, Mm -hmm. as the viewer, and uh, but everyone, including him, is seeing the two, you know, like double tails falling down onto the uh, on the floor, and uh, I love that cut. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised that
2: we that we saw his full frontal, you know, dong. Like I was, I was surprised in '71. It made me got me thinking, like, what's the history of male full frontal nudity? And well, like, you know, big it, it, it would get
1: films. an X rating uh, automatically. Uh, that might have hurt the film, by the way, um, like the movie drive. He said that Nicholson film um, has basketball players in a shower. So they're casually fully nude. And when there was male nudity for years in the early 70s, it was an automatic X. Mm-hmm. So wow. maybe that also dinged the film. But that yeah, was I wonder, surprising. I agree with. You. I wonder. With yeah.
0: You. But it's just obviously it's a great metaphorical cut there. You know, oh, seeing so him good. you know, losing your shirt, you know, uh, as they say. And then, um, but uh, from what Ted is, I remember him telling me about that shot is it was, you know, from high above, it was to sort of signify that now this character of John Grant is being reborn and he's starting over, mm-hmm. you know, now that he's naked in bed and... Now he's gonna, you know, start from the beginning all over again and become somebody else, naked and broke. Naked and broke doesn't have a <laughs> dime to him, and that's the horror of this yeah. movie: is being penniless in this fucking town. And that
1: is like like anxiety dream stuff. It yeah, triggers that. You know, just <laughs> totally. one little thing, just to stay on this little great neighborhood of the film. Um, is you know he's naked. He gets up for a second, and uh, uh you know it's tricky to es- establish heat happening in a film you know because you're not experiencing it like the character but I think he does a good job in that specific scene where it's like you know, he looks at the clock, the, he looks at his watch or whatever, and he's thinking like, uh, well, I guess I slept in and it's getting like noontime really hot. But he's like, oh, my God, it's 7 a.m. and it's like 101 degrees, you know, that kind of thing. And just yeah. the way like he reaches up and, and pulls the light up, I mean, pulls the uh, you yeah. know, the, uh, the shade up and it's just blinding white hot light. So I was feeling that oppressive heat thing. And also the choice of being naked is the practical one in the film you know because he's so hot he couldn't even have a blanket on him you know what i mean right mm-hmm. so so that feels like bad vibes is a bad vibe morning yeah.
2: you know yeah it is one of the sweatiest movies ever made and yeah. I, you know everybody is sweating although i noticed that he's got makeup on like to kind of separate him further from like the locals oh, okay. you know yeah yeah right and so he
0: looks kind of softer almost feminine but he's got like a foundation on you know mm-hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, where everyone's very rustic. And um, so then from there, when he's kind of wandering the streets aimlessly, there's this great almost, I know it's not a theremin, but it sounds like a theremin. Mm -hmm. And it's this score that's great. And it makes it like I said, feel Twilight Zone-esque of him sort of wandering around this town. And of course, that's where he meets the cop and he starts, you know, being force-fed beer. And he meets another fucking crazy asshole uh, named uh, Tim Hines, who's sort of this weird character that has the wife that he likes to swing with. And um, that's when he really, really gets into trouble when he meets him and, of course, his gaggle of weird, fucked-up friends. Um, Yeah, weird, uh,
1: enormous like good day mate australian guys they're like yeah. enormous right. you know I
2: think like that's they feel his like daughter, twice by the is... way is... i think Jeanette is, oh, it's is his daughter as da- tim's You're right. daughter yeah yeah it's right. but that You're uh, right. actually You're
1: personally right. that house situation to me is the most chilling in a weird way because it feels very out of control but it's a nice domestic suburbanish kind of home but it's like crowded with all these completely psychotic alcoholics, mm-hmm. everyone, mm-hmm. you know, and the wife's like, let's fuck. And the old man is just like, let's keep drinking. And it's just, but it's this nice, like even at a nice house, it's distru- disruptive with like um, coarse, out of control, mm-hmm. toxic alcoholism.
0: Yeah, Woo! yeah, exactly. And, that, and then of course you find out that, you know, he met earlier in the day, Donald Pleasance, who is a doctor of some kind so and Donald Pleasance, yeah. of course, you know, from Halloween fame gives just absolutely an incredible, crazy it's fucking it's so unhinged great. performance. You don't know where he's
1: coming from. He's very sneaky and spidery, mm-hmm. you know, like, like his, his, his reveals, his first few moments, you know, like he obviously is more erudite than everyone in the yaba, and the, and the teacher is picking up on that immediately. But you know, the teacher immediately also realizes if this guy's so sophisticated, what is he doing drinking like a fish with everyone else around here mm-hmm. and uh and he is a dinged up guy absolutely but he actually it's a gr- it's a great scene too at, at his shack you know I'm, I'm really the mvp for me is is Pleasance in this film
2: yeah you know? he's sort of like uh, charismatic he's so charismatic but he's yeah. also repulsive in a way and oh, I, you know, I was I thinking it. that this is sort of a almost like a stock character, like a really good execution of a stock character. That's like a, a vagrant philosopher, you yeah, know, like yeah. Falstaff is like that, like in uh, in Shakespeare. Or it also reminded me of maybe the inspiration for um, you remember that Mike Lee movie Naked from like nineteen ninety three. There's David Thewlis in that. Is this kind of character where he's like super mm, sure. charismatic, but he's also like you kind of want to stay away from him too. And it Dangerous. sort of made me think about the, that sort of stock character in, in movies. And I just love this performance by uh, Pleasant's here. He's just killing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so there's this great moment. There's tons of them. We got to get to them here. I'm looking at the clock and freaking out. But (laughs) there's a great scene um, in uh, in that house, as you were describing, uh, Tom, where then as they get progressively drunk, like more drunk, and Donald's there, everybody's there, all the guys are there, um, it starts to do this crazy flash cutting thing mm-hmm. where you're mm-hmm. seeing them like decorate the Christmas tree in circles and mm-hmm. then you're seeing Donald Pleasance you know uh, st- doing a, he- a headstand drinking beer. and she you see all the- this just okay. crazy flash cut madness. <laughs> and then of course you see, uh, you see John Grant wake up in the shack and that's when we're introduced to this like nasty Donald Pleasant's, you know, fly littered shack, which is just this yeah, crazy like plate piece. of
1: kangaroo meat.
0: Oh yeah. Oh. It <laughs> is like Texas, Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre. Yeah. Oh, oh, totally. It's brutal. It's brutal. It's brutal. So love that set piece. Um And then of course uh, as the things go, as the days go on and, He's perpetually drunk, and he's sweating, and he's hanging out with his crew. They bring him on this cra- – this is the scene we talked about – this crazy kangaroo hunt, one of the you know, most infamous scenes in the entire movie, uh, which uses real kangaroo hunting footage. So it's it's kangaroos being shot and maimed, and it's it's pretty brutal in this movie. Um, but I thought but, maybe uh, we
1: should – Help us out here, Evan.
0: Yeah. Contextualize it. <laughs> Yeah, so 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 basically, um, it 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 is the big tr- you know trigger warning uh, element of this movie because you know it, seeing real animal cruelty is very harsh, but in this movie you know Ted uh, is somebody who is very you know pro animal you know he's a he's an animal lover, and while he was out there doing this research as I mentioned earlier, meeting people and and you know t- finding out what's going on in the outback, he was hip mm-hmm. to this situation that was going on, where like. Just about how many kangaroos were being hunted and killed on a daily basis for foreign export business, you know, to make mm-hmm. uh, children's koala bear toys was one of them, and also oh, really? for, for and also for the pet food industry in in basically in the U.S. So oh yeah so shit. <laughs> so it was just senseless, just crazy massacre, slaughters, taking the skins, doing all that stuff, and so basically mm-hmm. during this during his own. Outback misadventure. Ted is going around and 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 then uh, I said, well, "What? Like, wh- wh- why don't we make a short doc about this?" So he actually got the yeah. uh, some s- some government uh, backing to do this and to basically go out and uh, on this government-sanctioned hunt and. Uh, Because as you see at the end of the film, there's kind of a disclaimer that says, you know, that the uh, I think it says something about the survival of the Australian kangaroo is seriously threatened. And these scenes were shown uncut for, you know, with the consultation Mm -hmm. of leading animal welfare, uh, welfare organizations Mm -hmm. in Australia and the UK. And so basically he put these scenes in the film. Uh, to raise more awareness about what is happening and all the stuff that you saw was him documenting it for real and what was happening so those are real hunts mm-hmm. that he's riding along with they're not the actors huh. performing them it's not any of that stuff because he shot all the right. you know he, you, if you look closely you'll see that there's you know there, there's cutaways and reverse shots and whatnot right, um, right, right. but the cool thing about it is is that many years later uh, f- from the efforts of this and of course that how that footage has been repurposed over time uh, that it has uh, succeeded in basically you know stopping the export of hmm. you know or, or the slaughter of kangaroos for you know the american pet food industry so, so it, it didn't did help lead halt the
1: industry uh yeah. by showing the how foul it was explicitly yeah. and, and basically there's a mini documentary inside wake and fright that had yeah. kind of a cause yeah. okay yeah. that's wild did not I know read, that
2: i read that went on for so long the crew started to get kind of sick of it and revolt and they actually pretended that the lights went out to like to stop the hunt you know they faked like a power outage so they could just stop it at some point that's what i well
0: it probably would have been like it it probably would have been the crew i mean it was probably i think it was just two or three people you know that were Mm -hmm. that that bit that that went on them those hunts because the actors aren't there you know this is a totally separate shoot than what they did it reminded
2: me of um you know that they they steal this scene in crocodile dundee you know and there's that guy charlie The barkeep is actually in Crocodile Dundee. So I, you know, I was waiting. I was oblig- waiting for you to bring it up. Obligatory Crocodile Dundee reference. It's got to yeah, happen. There you go. One fucking hour.
0: <laughs> One fucking hour time. So anyway, the cranger, the, the kangaroo hunt scene is absolutely fucking insane, but it, it is important. It is in that it, it in that it really does. That's the culmination of this this guy's. You know depravity and when and the animal the, the senseless violent animal he's been that, turned. he's turned into well
1: it's followed up by um some roughhousing. Oh, and uh, i was almost i was almost unable to take it it was the film was coming a little unbearable and it's not a, it's not a dig on the film but so the kangaroo hunt but then the huge fighting and destruction of the uh, the local a bar that's near where they were shooting the kangaroos and they're just like destroying the place and they're fighting and they just look huge and like non-verbal and it like, uh, and like roughhousing it's, it looks like roughhousing to the point where you're so drunk. It's like, Oh my God, look, I cracked me buddy's head wide open. His brains. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez, I'll drink to that. You know, it's just like, like, uh, it almost becomes like good fellas or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like, uh, like re like Joe Pesci like just getting really rowdy and it's like all right I shot him whatever his foot's fucking exploded with blood mm-hmm. you know it's like um really yeah, yeah. dark male like uh yeah. violent fun games and uh yeah. and that's a long scene when they're beating the shit out of each other in that porch it's one of my favorite scenes of. yeah it's it's yeah. one of
0: my it's one of my it's favorite scenes because harsh. it comes right after the scene obviously of um of of John Grant you know killing his own kangaroo that's what this culminates to, to him actually yeah, perpetrating yeah. that mm-hmm. himself. Crazy scene. And then they come back to the bar, and we're seeing this display um, after the hunt of like this kind of escalation of more drinking, total delirious drunk state of mind everybody has. And then it goes from this kind of casual, homoerotic horseplay that turns very violent very quickly. In, in a total destruction. You see Donald Pleasance going crazy where he's like, ooh, you know, you know he's yeah. doing that. It shows and- you that he
1: really is gone. Yeah. Like gone. Whatever the sophisticated man was yeah. in, in his past is just like, because he's right in the front lines of the chicanery here, mm-hmm. you know.
2: When they're smashing all the furniture, it reminded me of like Gummo, and for a second, I thought about all the the compounding like wow. debauchery and like low life, horrible drunken Good mess point. that happens after another. I was like, I, all of a sudden, I was like, this is the kind of movie Harmony Kareem, like, which was so
1: hundred <laughs> percent on on the Gummo reference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't think of an, another example, but that was in the back of my mind. I think was Gummo, nice one. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: totally. I could see that.
1: Just like um, like blunt dumb. Well, what's the R word that Paul and Kale used again?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. All right. Uh, But uh, basically, so going from there, though, okay, once we've reached that fucking crazy scene, it then cuts to, it cuts right back to John Grant and Donald Pleasance back at the shack and that performance of him taking his jacket off and putting it in the refrigerator, which is the second time that's happened on one fucking hour. The second movie we've ever covered where someone takes their jacket off and puts it in a refrigerator Things. What was the other
1: one? Things. Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) Holy shit. I know. I know. I know. Wow. So, but the, the amazing drunken performance from Donald Pleasance is just uh, Mm, fucking mm -hmm. out, out of control in that moment. And of course, then things turn really weird where he pins him down and through some suggestion, through the clever editing there and them mm-hmm. waking up the next day, uh, you know there is some sort of you know he basically had a gay encounter with uh, something happened with Donald well, isn't
1: Pleasance in like a nighty? Yeah like he's like not wearing any, any underwear and he's just wearing like a nighty that goes up to his yeah. ass cheeks yes, yes. Like, like, yeah. okay cool all right here yeah. we go um, <laughs> you do you man yeah yeah well there's um, also you know the you mentioned this earlier but like um throughout the film there's these really killer old school like almost psychedelic montages that are it's actually getting nicholas Rogue-like, and i would not be surprised if he right. was in no way influenced by rogue mm-hmm. but it has that kind of just like um like uh, frame of mind uh, uh, consciousness stream of consciousness thinking where it's like girlfriend at the beach terrifying kangaroo stabbing yeah. you know like like and it's in this quick like yeah. you know like montage machine guns um uh mm-hmm. montage yeah yeah and uh and that happens throughout right that happens around the time of the uh their drunken encounter mm-hmm. on the floor mm-hmm. and then there's the big moment uh, at the end and the uh, end, and it, so it gets even amazing. more evolved yeah so yeah. just shout out to the montages it's yeah, also
0: just okay. a great little it's also a great little visual trick too that he's um using the lamp. Again, the lamp becomes another yeah. uh, visual metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, during it's that sort of scene. like when you're the next day after you wake up and you're drunk and you have flashes of what happened, you know. Right, right. The, the,
1: like a little bit happened. of this, a little bit of that. But then also there's things that are Relating, that didn't literally happen in recall. You're not recalling, but it's just like, you're, you know, they're on your mind. You
0: know? Yeah. And uh, th- that actually wasn't what great. I was referring to, great. but it, it's, it's, it is, it is great. Like the, like flashes of how, like that that, that one moment when they're in the house and they're all fucking doing the crazy, you know, he's the headstand yeah. and everything. Like, I love that. Those weird laps, like memory laps, drunken moments like use are like uses right. transition points to the next scene, which is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the lamp I was referring to is in that scene in a shack, the swinging lamp kind of becomes mm, yeah, this okay. crazy visual metaphor for just like the, it's a callback to like the gambling moment. Yeah, too, that's what or, I was like, saying. Yeah. 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 Overhead
1: lamp. Uh, and it's like the sun outside yeah. in the day, you know? Yeah. Blinding, and f- blinding
0: totally and then and then of course uh we'll cut to the chase here but John Grant basically tries to escape long story short tries to escape the Yabba, and through some um interesting uh you know set pieces there he finds himself right back where he started and he's unable to leave I love that and um, I love that too it it's reminds me a,
1: of uh Twilight Zone obviously but mm-hmm, also yeah. a um, dogville von Trier
2: sure yeah.
1: He does that uh, in the film. Go ahead. Sure. Or I love sure. that it's like
2: a realistic Twilight Zone, you know, like it's not like, yeah. the you know, like an alien Super, transported them supernatural. Or like a warp zone or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a realistic it's like for, version of that.
1: Very plausible. You said I said city, mate. I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
0: <City. laughs> yeah. Right. I said city. Yeah. It's so dark. And then so he's back there and he's basically, you know, he's tormented by images of Donald Pleasance after his you know, after basically being raped by him. And um, he's going to go back to his shack and he's going to fucking kill him. But then at the last second, he turns the gun on himself. And Donald Pleasance is then witness to John Grant's own suicide attempt, which is pretty crazy because he shoots himself, but he doesn't die. Or at least I guess that's one way of interpreting it. And um, he's in the hospital again, unable to escape. Like I, I think mm-hmm. that's kind of supposed to be the sardonic, you know, humor of the whole thing. Yeah, and I like, got you. You know, you're not even able to kill yourself to get out of the Yaba. Right. <laughs> you, know, you, like, you can't. You can't. Hmm. You can't take that
1: way out. Suicide. Yeah, like right. you're. Yeah. This is Yaba. Always forever. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Totally. And of course, the I really felt and the
2: for became... him when the tears rolling down his face. You know, that's when I started to like really feel bad yeah. for him. That yeah. it, it took
0: its toll on him. Totally, and it's even referenced in the top of the movie when the cop is 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 talking to John Grant, and he says, "Well, we don't have much crime around here, except for a few suicides." And that is a great right. sort of foreboding, mm-hmm. foreshadowing there. But in this mm-hmm. crazy imagery too, you see of when he's freaking out and having all the, you know, like you know PTSD images of Donald Pleasants, Like that's where you see that cl- classic image of the uh the uh, two up coins going into his eyes and everything mm-hmm, and right <laughs> total madness just like crazy shit you know so oh. and i think
1: there's a there's a thing that's um i think his woman is seen making out with pl- the character of pleasance that's right right
0: that's right you know? yeah so that's there's right. that kind of thing <clears throat> where
1: uh, and that's getting kind of that's almost again i keep saying nick Rogue, but it's kind of reminding me of, like performance but again um I would not be surprised if Kachif was like if you asked me he's like I don't know I still haven't seen performance you know what I mean mm-hmm. like he's Probably. just doing his thing it's kind of the zeitgeist I guess like yeah. to have like rapid fire editing yeah yeah of uh, representing consciousness you know a stream of consciousness
2: overall this film just feels really mature and just really well made you know like yeah. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I think it stands yeah. apart from other films from 71 like it just feels like a really confident mature like film well said
0: absolutely 100% yeah it's really true it's it it really this is a classic. I mean, this th- this is an incredible movie. And the fact that it might have been lost forever is insane. Uh, but know. the fact that I think it adds a lot of extra weight to it um, uh, when you see it. But it really is, to me, one of my favorite movies of the 70s. And it was an honor to work with Ted and to re-release the movie. We struck a brand yeah. new print for this movie when we opened it at Film Forum. And it was the last 35 millimeter print ever made in Australia. Ooh. All right sick yeah man
1: congrats nice one i think it's still an obscure film uh relatively speaking you know it's yeah it's it's got a cult but it's not um it does i think it deserves a little more more attention you know and not even
2: for bringing it back
1: yeah man thanks and not and not marginalized as like a great australian film like i don't want to qualify it that's what i was losing today when i rewatched it we're done i'm just saying like yeah I, i was done with being like this is a good australian film yeah. Right. You know. That does feel yeah. like a
2: it feels like a backhanded compliment to say it that yeah, way. Exactly. You know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know like totally. I know. Nice work, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good job. Yeah, no, it's just like that's a yeah. killer film on an international film level. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and
0: 1971. Uh, yeah. Yep. We are done. Um but yeah, done I mean, and it was done. really it was it it was it was really me being the most annoying fucking prick kid I could imagine being calling Australia every week for probably two <laughs> years and being like what's the story oh, what's the story what's the I story see. what's the story and finally yeah. i got that one phone call one day it's like okay it's ready to go like you better be ready to pay and thank god we were um so okay <laughs> yeah yeah um nice. you know, it wasn't cheap either uh all right so uh that was 1971 one fucking hour on wake and fright thank you guys for uh listening slash watching and voting for that one yeah exactly
1: so and the voting continues i'm gonna do this just real quick so this thing started 1967 and we did point blank and then next was targets yikes and uh 69 putney swope el topo last week 1970 this week you guys have pretty good taste man yeah i like like the
0: choices (laughs) very cool you know totally totally it's been great it's been so fun to do this um, so let's get to the poll for next week 1972 this is where it's going to get okay. harder and harder this is where man. everyone
1: drops the ball
0: right this is <laughs> <laughs> well i think we picked four really interesting films again i i, oh, I yeah. would say that i oh, would yeah. do i would do any of these uh, i'm totally fine with any of these i think any of these are going to make a great absolutely one fucking hour episode absolutely so let's uh, talk about what we're talking about. So uh, if you are watching this right now, within 24 hours of the premiere of this episode, you can go right now to our Instagram page, at one fucking hour. Uh, that is uh, O-N-E fucking hour. And uh, head over to our stories. Click that. And if you're there in the first 24 hours, you're going to see the poll. And you can vote for one of the following four films. Uh, for And whoever wins is going to be our next fucking episode. So you decide. But first, let's go through the list of the four films that you have to pick from, and then we'll get into a little bit about what that hour might look like. Okay, number one, how about this? I'm very excited about this because this is the first... I've been waiting to talk about this director on this uh, okay. fucking show. All, All right. right, how about one fucking hour on Pink Flamingos? Oh, boy. Here we go. I mean, I mean,
1: uh, I, I feel this is a necessary pick because... Um, I'm redeeming myself because i still feel guilty in choosing one of his films <laughs> john waters films as movies we hate uh i'm still <laughs> that's right like, dying inside from that one but yeah. it's okay whatever because we're gonna because we might redeem this and yeah pink flamingos it's great divine uh it's insane the backstory baby got backstory on this one for days uh yep. experientially it's insane it's still insane uh mm. it's pink flamingos right what else yeah. can you say pf baby. seminal that would not have happened like uh, in any other time except pretty much nineteen seventy two, you mm-hmm. know, A time when like El Topo was the norm, you know. Yeah, in that movie. <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. Like he kind of totally. the ante. Totally. So uh, one fucking hour in pink flamingos, or here is another monster film from nineteen seventy two, which we've I think we've flirted with talking about um, on the channel before. We have Wes Craven's Last House on the Left. God, uh, Marcus uh, you take
2: this one
1: no, I'm kidding <laughs> well there's not much to talk about again there's almost not much to talk about I mean backstory I mean uh Wes Craven's a legend this is where the legend started uh the film is actually also still upsetting today yes um, definitely. we did we did a series called uh video nasties like a decade ago and everyone's having fun you know they're like damn this movie's crazy you know all these you know old grindhouse movies that you know had some gore and whatnot. We also screened then Last House on the Left is one of the video nasties. This was like 30 days of, of midnights of video nasties. So we put on Last House on the Left and people were just like silent. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, like yeah. oh shit. You know, yeah. like, I'm just saying, like it's a lot of Yahoo, rowdy, kind of jaded people and they were just like, oh man, shit, you know? Yeah. This film's rough. It still is. Um, yeah. And I can't imagine, I'll just say, the tagline for this film was, can a movie go too far Mm -hmm. question mark starts friday you know so assassin left i I will
2: add this it will dovetail nicely with episode i don't know 48 or whatever it was that was uh the virgin spring right yes
0: yep
1: oh uh, my god yeah we did cover the film that uh, inspired uh, that's know, right. Wes in many ways. Yeah, yeah that's right. Igmar, Igmar, right.
0: Igmar Bergman's Virgin Spring in the archives. There's also, right. we also did uh, The Hills Have Eyes uh, as well in the right. archives. Right. So we got a little bit, a bit in The Last House there, but th- this will be a full hour on Last House if you pick it. All right, number three is um, definitely very different than the first two films. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it might be um, a nice comedy, a great comedy with some great great performances, that's um, Elaine May's "The Heartbreak Kid."
1: Uh, guys, Evan, uh, Marcus.
0: I mean, I love it. I mean, it's 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 it holds up. It's hilarious. It's funny. I love how um, they're from Minnesota, so it's got some per- personal uh, you know in the Interesting. film. Interesting.
1: I know? like
2: hearing that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I like hearing that. It's a but great it's got some elements
2: from her daughter. Uh, right? Lane That's right. daughter yep. is, is as a, Oh, is Jeannie a really Berlin funny, is incredible. Yeah. Really, really yeah. amazing performance from her. It's probably my favorite Grodin movie, you know, aside from like Beethoven or whatever, but <laughs> right. you know,
1: yeah. Charles Grod- Grodin shreds. I mean, he is this great. is a great film. Actually guys, we did reference this because I had done in the first batch <laughs> of movies we hate. I did the remake That's of the heartbreak right. kids. So That's there you right. go. And, and it was the main reason I said, I hated it because it insulted this film, and yeah. it's a great film. Elaine May, enormously talented. She also did, you know, Mikey and Nikki, which we got to do that soon. Mm-hmm. Anyway, oh, Mikey and Nikki, director, Elaine movies. May, the all cylinders, but the two lead characters. And also, I, I think one of the takeaways is, I, I'm kind of reducing it in a way, but I think it's maybe the first cringe comedy. Yeah, because you're laughing like this yeah. is kind of unprecedented for 1972 where you're laughing, but it's yeah. like super uncomfortable. Like, honey, uh, yeah, I met a girl who's a lot hotter than you, and uh, I, I want to get out of this marriage like right
0: yeah. now. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just like, yeah, that's yeah. funny
1: stuff, right? I mean, that's yeah. more common today to have a plot line that goes there, but um, mm-hmm. oh, they yeah. do what they do.
2: It's yeah. uh, Civil Shepherd and, does uh, look amazing in it.
1: Silver yep. Shepherd is, is quite appealing. And it has a great kind of like soft, sour ending that I was unexpected it does. to me. And it does. Bill Packs a punch. Um, yeah, it's yeah, right ahead of Heartbreak its time. Kid is, is really special. And it would help us exercise something that doesn't have like too much head trauma and shootings and stabbing Yeah. <laughs> Just less <laughs> in Heartbreak Kid. Yeah. So
0: all right. And um <laughs> the last choice, not putting my thumb on the scale at all, but man, I fucking love this movie. Um it is going uh, your, your last choice, your fourth choice here is Werner Herzog's whew, masterpiece question mark um Aguirre Wrath of God from 1972. Oh, fuck, I mean, dude. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. We
1: brought this up before, uh, yeah. you know, um, we did him, you know, with Stroytsik, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, but absolutely thoughts?
0: Thoughts? love this it's movie. Kind
2: of one of the ultimate team up his ultimate team up with uh with his best fiend kinski right I mean, yeah I feel like kinski is,
1: is zagira uh just incredible vision and then there's that soundtrack guys let's get some prog rock shit going down yeah, with Popova, yeah uh and it's just and, and the opening of the film is just like a heaven dream of like uh you know we were talking about like surrealism but like documentary-ish mm-hmm. and this is like a surreal documentary and how he flatly depicts like the, the mechanisms of them marching in the jungle and it's Conquist like and it feels doors. yeah but it, and it feels you know like a documentary but it's uh not and it's this extraordinary circumstance and there's this pumping loud awesome prog rock going
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: stunning it's stunning, it right. is stunning. And of course
2: it has one of the greatest ending images of any movie
0: ever absolutely yeah. ever yeah. what yeah.
1: a great year this year the thing is like you know we're, we are going through this thing uh where like we're talking about the cusp cusp all that shit. And now we've gone, now we're going to 1972, and things are obviously firmly grounded. It's the middle of the early 70s. So, like, we are, things are real, like, more money's coming for wilder projects. More people are seeing and appreciating and talking about wild projects. You know, 72 is a very peak time, and things got kind of extreme in in Mm -hmm. a great way, (laughs) you know? Um, And uh, uh, they're about as wild as film got, in my opinion, in that era this year.
0: Yeah, let's do it. So 1972, hop on the Instagrams at one fucking hour. If you're watching this in the first 24 hours of its broadcast, you can vote. What are we going to talk about? What are we talking about? Pink Flamingos, Last House on the Left, Heartbreak Kid, Aguirre Wrath of God. Four greats there for you to pick from let us know and of course again got a shout out one more time patreon.com slash one fucking hour it's the best way to to support the show if you love what we're doing here um and you want it if you want more content i mean we're basically doing these commentaries you know one to two times a month so you're going to get more one fucking hour shit you can it's basically hanging out with us and watching movies with us in real time and an entire film yeah Yeah. an entire fucking film opening yeah, one credits hour. to closing it's the only credits. way to see some of these too you know? yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know it is yeah, yeah. and it's fucking, been wild yeah it it's has been, been wild i enjoy it well, fucking one hour and 50 minutes on psycho 98 the other night so if you want to watch <laughs> if you've never seen it you want to watch psycho 98 for the first time with us it's the best way to do it five bucks it's up there um you get the audio commentary tracks and all that good shit and also 24 hour early access to every episode so it's cool right. for that too So, um, all right. Well, that's it, guys. Um, I can't think of anything else I got to get out uh, except for your moment of zen. All right, everybody. Have a great rest of your week, and we will see you again. Oh, I did want to say we might have a week off because I'll be traveling. So I don't know if 1972 is going to air next week. It might be the week after. We might be skipping a week. but. Whatever you decide will be our next episode. just might be a little delayed, but anyway. It's it's July
1: 4th holiday coming up, so, you know. That's what it is. That's what it
0: is. Distracted. There it is. All right, though.
1: But for now. Take
0: care, everybody. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: You can talk. And I can sing. I said a hit. Hop, the hippie, the hippie to the hip, hip hop, and you don't stop the rock, do the bang bang. you set up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie, this is to great. boogie. So um, I am Jackie Legs, and I'd like to say hello to the black, the white Jackie, uh, Mr. Legs. If you could find your way clear to give me back my money, money? Oh, you mean that money? Oh. Motherfucking goddamn
1: orange
0: peel beef. <laughs>
1: That was wicked, man.